Welcome to church. It is a joy to be here. It is a joy to uh, just be in fellowship and to worship with each and every one of you. Everyone in this room is here. Um, no matter what brought you here, ultimately the Lord brought you here. And we are prayerful and excited about what he has for each of us today. He's already met us this already, has he not? And um, is just giving us, just refilling my soul. And I'm just so thankful, so thankful for a place and the privilege that we have in this country to just be free, free to worship right now and free to give our, our praise and give glory to God and to Christ. Just want to say uh, a special welcome to anyone who's a new guest today. My name is Sarah, and um, our house is your house. This is the Lord's house. And that is one thing that we really want everyone who walks in these doors to feel is that, you know, there's not always a place of belonging in this world. And some of you are acutely aware of that. Uh, but when you walk through these doors because of Christ, uh, you, you belong, okay? The words we just sang, that while in heaven he stands, no one can pluck you from his hands. So you are, you are safe, and you are here, and you belong, and we have a special Grace Life welcome that we share every Sunday. And just thinking about even the last words that we were just talking about, standing in the power of Christ, is anyone in here standing in your own power? If you are, I imagine you are feeling really, really worn out and tired. And that's how, that's, that's, that's how I feel in my flesh most of the time. But because of the power of Christ, I feel renewed and I feel strengthened. And I feel confident in his love and his power that works through me. And that is what this welcome is all about. It's about coming in with all of your uh, problems, your mess, your worries, your fears, your fatigue, your unworthiness, and knowing that because of the power of Christ, he can meet you exactly where you're at. And that's what this welcome is all about. So welcome to all who mourn and need comfort. I imagine there's a few of you in here today and watching online. Hello <laughs> to all our friends watching from home too. Uh, we are so glad you're with us. And to all who are weary and need rest to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares to all who fail and need strength it's me almost every hour of every day to all who sin and need a savior amen to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness because we have none of our own and to whoever else will come Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. And you are so welcome this morning. So we had a QR code up there a second ago, and that is just a handy way. Just I'm sure most of you know how to work these by now. Just open your camera, point it at the screen, and this will take you to our scripture reading for today, which Tommy's going to read. Um, and we'll... Give, uh, give you some buttons to connect with our church, see what's going on through events that we have coming up, and ways to share a prayer request or just let us know that something's on your heart. Um, or if you have a need, ways to connect with community groups. Um, and so you can 
you can, it'll take you right to our, an, our page. And um, I have a, a special announcement, but I'm trying to remember. Is there anything else I was supposed to share? No, okay. Um, so we have something really cool that we're kicking off today. And it's going to be every first Sunday we celebrate communion at our church. We've been doing that for a really long time. And um, so now we've got something else really special to look forward to on the first Sundays. And it's called This Is My Story. And we're going to be hearing from different brothers and sisters in the church who are just going to be sharing a testimony of faithful, the God, God's faithfulness in their life, whether it's their salvation story or maybe just, you know, a story of, of triumph that God brought them through. And so we'll be celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper these first Sundays, and we'll also be celebrating the faithfulness and goodness and work of God in each other's lives. And uh, I can't wait to introduce our very first a sister who's going to be sharing this morning, and her name is Melissa Perry, and I'm going to pass the mic over to her. So welcome, Melissa. Good morning. Uh, so I do find it interesting I'm the first because I always start my testimony by sharing how for many years I didn't think it was worth sharing. Um, that I started going to church when I was six, and by the age of eight, had come to know Christ and was baptized. Um, but there's more to my story than that, as we all know that there's a lot that goes on in our lives. Um, so as a child, I was raised by a military man uh, and a loving mom who took us to church. And my dad did a lot of drinking. Uh, and because of that, our family we kind of had this balance we had to work around to make sure we didn't set him off for any reason. Uh, and so I spent a lot of my childhood and my youth working on perfection. Um, and so I could, you know, check off all the boxes, right? Well-behaved kid, straight-A student, uh, went to youth group, was in, you know, sang in the church choir, and went to camp, went on mission trips. I did all those things, all those things that I thought would make me the perfect example of a Christian. Um, and the thing about seeking perfection and our human brokenness is it's impossible. Um, and so at some point, it was going to break, and it did for me. Um, and so I made it all through high school. I went, to, I was perfect Christian, right? So I found a Christian college to attend. Um, and it was there that I began to see God working uh, through brokenness. And I began to have professors and my boss in college and my friends who just poured into me that obviously there was more to me than this need for the A or the need to give off this facade that somehow I was okay and I was always going to be okay. Um, and during all of this, obviously, I was learning more and more about Scripture, and so I had it ready to share with others. But there's something to be said about knowing someone and loving someone. And so along my path, I found myself in China, teaching English for eight months. Um, I don't speak Chinese. So when I... Um, was not at work with the students. I was in my apartment by myself. And I always say it was my eight months of silence 
that God truly found me. Uh, because in that silence, he was able to reach me in a way that I couldn't be, I, who can be reached when they're too busy checking off all of those boxes of things that I need to do to prove that I'm perfect. Um, and so in this season of silence, I began to learn the difference between knowing God and loving God. Because so many of us, we know the story. We know the scripture. But when you begin to love the person who made that story, who created the need for those scriptures, you begin to be changed. Uh, and so I always uh, say now that you know, when you know someone, you can share things about them very superficial, on the surface, um, they like this, they like that. But when you love someone, when you love someone, it changes you. And so during my time in China, I was changed. And I came home from that um, and was able to begin my teaching career at high school where I took that love and I've taken it to my students. Um, and in doing so, and a lot of you know my story that I've had the ability to take in two of my former students um, as my own. And it's because of God's love that I was able to love them. And so what I want to leave sort of with all of you is I always come to Psalms 40, 16. It says, but may, we all who but may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, the Lord is great. So I just want to say thank you for letting me share. Wow. Thank you, worship team, and thank you, Melissa. What a great way to start our service sometimes I feel like I don't really need to do anything I just need to go sit down and and dismiss us but I know we're here to to be in the word today together so what I want to do is is pause and pray before I do just a, a couple of quick announcements one yes we know it's super cold in here two no there's nothing we can do about it the only thing we can do is shut the air conditioner completely off and then we would boil uh, that's really outside of our control and it's not a complaint it's outside of the school's control it's a really long story I, I don't have time to, to explain, but I'm glad some of you are catching on and bringing blankets and layering up. Um, I guess it's better to be cold in Florida than to be hot, right? And the second announcement, uh, when we planted this church seven years ago, the, there was a, a very unique man that we affectionately called Uncle Chuck. And uh, he was a retired geologist in Florida, and, and he was just the most interesting guy you would ever meet. Loved Jesus, loved talking to people. Uh, and he began to have a barrage of, of, of health things that kept him home, and eventually uh, he moved back with his family to Ormond Beach. Uh, but Uncle Chuck passed away just about a week ago from, from kidney failure, and, and uh, for those of you who would want to know that, you can be praying for his family. He has a memorial service next Saturday. I believe it's the 13th of March at Riverbend Community Church, uh, beginning at 11 o'clock. So you can tuck that date away and mark that on your calendar if you want to go and be a part of that. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for the testimony we've heard, the truth that we have sang and rehearsed and celebrated together. Thank you for the conversations that we've engaged in already today. Um, thank you for the life that you gave Uncle Chuck and, and saving him, Lord, and, and uh, just the, the interesting, creative man that he was that really loved people. 
And more than really anybody I've known, he would sit and listen and, and give you his full attention. That is so rare today. And I'm grateful that he's with you, that his great and mighty hope was that Christ was his Savior. And I pray for his family who is just mourning his, his absence, Lord. And pray for, for the many in this room who are in a similar uh, place, Lord. They've lost loved ones and uh, they need hope today. And maybe this sermon is, is just what has been ordered for them today. I pray, Lord, I do feel today my weakness even looking over these notes before church and, and tampering with them and, and trying to get them the way I liked them, just not satisfied. And, and there's, there's, always a, there's always a reason for that, Lord. There's usually sermons like that hit a few people that, that really needed that word from you. And I, I trust that's the case today. I know I needed it. So would you please take uh, these, these few loaves of, of bread and, and fish, Lord, and, and, and feed a multitude with it today. May we leave here filled and satisfied and, and hungry for more and transformed, and may we all just have our faces turn once again uh, to the source of all goodness, of all joy, of all happiness, Jesus Christ himself. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here we go. So, turn in your Bible to Psalm 16. On first Sundays, I'm going to be reading my own scripture. So, uh, usually somebody else is up here doing that. So I'm going to give you a minute to, to find it if you have a Bible or if you have a smart device, that's fine too. Whatever version of the, the Bible you have is, is, is fine. We use the English Standard Version here, and that's the version that, that we'll be reading from up here. I'm going to read all 11 verses, Psalm chapter 11, so make your way there. And I want us to put our eyes on the paper or the screen and read these words together so that they resonate. You can say them out loud with me if you want to. I know that's kind of new and awkward, but that's okay. Nothing better to say out loud than, than eternal truth. So I'm going to read from the ESV, Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. A mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Now, if you listen carefully to that psalm, you heard a lot of talk about happiness. And I know in the English language, we have lots of, lots of synonyms for that. Joy or rejoicing or, and just about all of those are in this psalm. It's unmistakable, happy language. David uses words like joy Gladness, rejoicing, pleasures forevermore, happiness is all over the place. That's obviously a theme that he wants to communicate here. 
But David also, in the, in the course of talking about joy and happiness, he also introduces something that we should consider. He talks about threats to that happiness. Hijacks on this quest for joy that we're on. That's the title of the message today, is Quest for Joy. He talks about those things. You could call them threats. You could call them enemies. But maybe the best word to use to describe the way he lays them out here is counterfeits. Counterfeits. Because he says in verse 4, whoever hastens after, whoever chases after, whoever gives their heart to another god, an idol, they will multiply their sorrows. In other words, there's lots of, uh, of road signs that say joy this way, and they're lies. They're empty. And they're going to tear you to pieces and leave you on the side of the road. Another reminder to passerbys, don't take that road. That was a lie. That was a dead end. That tore me up and spit me out. And so David wants to talk about both of those paths in this psalm here. And we're going to talk about both of those. This, this psalm only has 11 verses, but it is so packed full of rich truth. We could preach on this for, for months. I'm not going to do that. This is, <clears throat> this is the break that we take at the end of every chapter in Romans just to let everyone catch their breath and let me catch up a little bit. Romans chapter 7, uh, we just finished 6. And Romans 7, uh, personally speaking, is one of the, the more challenging chapters to understand for me. And I'm working my way through that. And I want to know what it means before I get up here and preach it. So I appreciate your prayers. And forgive me a couple weeks to figure, <laughs> to figure that out. And, and we're going we're gonna to dive in Psalm 16 today. This is called a Mitchum. A Mitchum. I don't even know how to pronounce that word in Hebrew. It's a musical term. But it means a golden psalm. Or the finest gold of David. I like that, man. We picked a good one today, didn't we? We're going right for the 14 carat. Is 14 carat the best? No? 20, see, that, I give you a little test every week to make sure you're with me here. So this is like 32 carat gold. I, I mean, can't you go higher than 24? Okay, you can't. It just gets soft and mushy and you don't wear it on your... Okay. This is a golden psalm. Um, but we're only going to look at three nuggets here, Okay. Three realities about happiness. So here's the sermon outline. Here we go. We're going to keep it simple today. Number one, I want to tell you something about every single one of you, whether you're at home watching or you're in the seat today. This is true of every single human being who's ever been born and can cognitively reason and process, okay? Everyone seeks after happiness. Everyone does. I'll try to prove that to you today if, you can, if, you're, if you're one of these people. <laughs> Everyone seeks after happiness. And here's another truth. Few people actually find it, the kind that's lasting, the kind that fills you and doesn't deplete you, the kind that David talks about. Few people find that. Jesus said that too, didn't he? He said, there are few people, narrow is the way, and straight is the gate that leads to life, that leads to joy. But there are few that find it. Same thing, that's 3,000 years old. And the third thing is, there's a secret here that David tells you, because this is a secret that really shouldn't be a secret at all. This is not a secret, certainly we should keep. He didn't keep it. Jesus didn't keep it. There's a pearl of great price here that's for everybody. And the trick is, it doesn't cost you anything, right? It costs Jesus everything. It doesn't cost us anything but faith. So that's, that's the outline for today. We're going to go through those one at a time. Number one, everyone seeks happiness. And David is, is really saying that. He says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. That's a Hebraic way of saying, hey, if you were to measure joy and happiness... Man, I have found the ticket. I, I've got it. I finally found it. You take the tape measure out and you measure my life and you're like, man, David, you're there, bro. You arrived. I'm happy. I'm finally content. I'm not empty. I'm not guilty. I'm not depleted. I have found the secret to happiness, David is saying here. I've caught the big one. See, we live in a fallen and broken and sinful world. 
And much of that sorrow, honestly, is completely out of our control. We don't cause it. We, don't, we certainly can't cure it. It's just part of living on a broken planet in a broken body where the ravages of sin are everywhere. Even science admits that. You know, there's a second law of thermodynamics, which is, what is it called? Entropy. Thank you. And that says that things tend to, toward greater and greater disorder. That means they go from clean to dirty. You know, I, I'm an OCD kind of guy, and I like to vacuum our house all the time. It makes me feel better about myself. And I'm amazed just in a day. I mean, we do have six kids and two cats. That's true. And we live in Florida where there's sand. I'm amazed, man. If we go a day without vacuuming, second law of thermodynamics on display. How about, am I the only one here? I don't know. And we close our doors and stuff. I don't know. I think we have good windows and everything's sealed up. But things don't get clean on their own. It doesn't work that way. And, you know, we go from clean, from clean to dirty. We go from health to sickness. We go from good to bad. We go from fixed to broken. That's the second law. And we go from life to death and from happiness to sorrow. That's just the way life works. And there's a reason for that. The Bible is the only book in the world that can tell you why, what happened. Something happened, an event happened, a historic event a long time ago in a garden where a man and a woman stood before a tree of knowledge and they chose good on their terms, not God's. That's Romans 5. We talked about that. That historic event plunged the whole world into darkness and into sin and into rebellion and death. And we see what Spurgeon called the slime of Adam's rebellion covers the whole globe. There's not a place, there's not a relationship or a place you can go. You go and pick the most exotic, most isolated place in the world that you can find. And if you find another person, you're going to find another problem there. Because that's, that's, that's our lot in life. That's what David's talking about here. And some of those things we don't pick. We had a yard sale I don't know what we were thinking. We had a, we had a yard sale, two-day yard sale, two days in a row in our, at our house. And, man, I'm listening to all these stories in our driveway of people that have just felt, met brokenness the last two years. Lost loved ones, lost friends, lost hope. Uh, I don't know if that's because they're about to make a price on a pair of shoes that they're telling me all this. But a lot of this they didn't choose. They were, I don't like to use the word victims, but in a way they were. It was like it just happened to them. Nobody chose to get COVID, you know. They just did, and some people died from it, and they left a, a wake of, of sadness behind them. Our bodies get old, and they get injured, and they're susceptible to age, disease, gravity. <laughs> I mean, I'm t- I turned 47 last month, and my, my sons want me to do backflips on our trampoline, and I'm like, son, I just... I mean, I can, but it's gonna, we're going to have to go to the chiropractor when I'm done. That's just part of, part of living in a fallen body, in a fallen world. Anything can get us. The weather can cripple us, right? Animals can attack us. Tsunamis, floods, hurt. Even the planet seems like it's against us. Fires, wildfires, tornadoes, all because of one man's sin. We, we, we experience and we hear those stories of brokenness. And in many ways, we can be victims. We don't choose them. They find us cancer, conflict, COVID, or a mental health condition can find us, and we have nothing to do with it. It just comes upon us. And thank God for, for common grace and for doctors. And sometimes, sometimes Christians need help. Medicine can be a common grace if we need it, and I'm thankful for that. I feel like I need to say that every now and then. I know what type of religious culture some of you come from where there was guilt placed upon you because you had to take medicine for a time, and I don't think that's right. But there's another kind of sorrow that we choose. Now, this is insane. And I'll just, 
you can relax, and this is going to be part of the sermon. There is another kind of sorrow and misery that human beings choose. Can you imagine that? How insane is that? We choose sorrow for ourselves. That's what this, that's what, uh, this psalm actually says. The sorrows of those, verse 4, look at it. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Now, this is volitional. This is a calculated decision that's been made. They use their will, their reasoning powers, and they say, I think that's going to lead me to happiness, and I'm going to choose that. And they hang on to it for dear life, and it takes them down a very dark path and, and cuts them to pieces. And they've chosen it. That's what David is saying. He's trying to grab the people that are either about to make that decision or people that are recovering from it or the people that are in the middle of it. And he's trying to say it doesn't have to be this way. There's a better path. There's a, there's a true road to happiness if you'll listen to me. Because David was no stranger to, to self-inflicted pain, was he? I don't know at what point he wrote Psalm 16. Maybe it was after his decision to have an affair and, you know, destroy another man's family and ultimately take the man's life, sinning against Bathsheba. Um, but David could talk to you about self-inflicted pain and misery. And, and oftentimes, if, if we'll listen, the psalmist is telling you their story and telling you a better way, sharing a better way. It's like sitting down and having coffee with a person who wants to help you. And that's what David's saying. It doesn't have to be this way. So can you believe that? People that choose to be miserable and chase after and hasten after another God. And usually it's not because they wanted to be miserable. It was just they, they mistook uh, something that was not good for them for, for happiness, and it wasn't. There was a book that came out when I was in high school, and it was called A Simple Plan. It was written in 1993, my senior year. And it was about a man who was in his 30s, and his name was Hank Mitchell. And he was an accountant at a local feed store in a small northern town where he grew up. Now, this is a, this is a novel, okay? It's not, not true. It's just a novel. But this, this book became a runaway bestseller and resonated with tons of people uh, for reasons I, I think you'll hear in here. This guy grew up in a small northern town. He married his high school sweetheart. Uh, he had a simple job, had simple friends. Uh, first baby is on their way. His wife works at the library. He's, he has a simple life, but he has a happy life. He has a happy life. His friends and his family respect him. Life is good, but things change in an instant. He's with two of his companions on New Year's Day in the afternoon. They're traveling on the highway. And uh, they end up taking a detour, and they're in this wildlife park that's no hunting, nobody's in there. And they, cr they come across a small airplane that's crashed. Uh, it's covered in snow. And they, they're, they're throwing snowballs, and they hit it, and the snow falls off, and they say, man, look at this plane, man, what's going on? And the pilot's in there, and he's been in there for a long time, frozen. And so they go on this airplane to investigate, and they find a black duffel bag in there. And it's filled with money, a lot of money. $4.4 million is in this airplane. They drag this duffel bag out, and they're like, holy smokes, look at this. And Hank Mitchell is like the honest guy. He's the one that's staple. He's secure. He's got the job. And he's like, guys, guys, look, this is probably dirty money. We got to do the right thing. We got to turn this in. And they're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> why, why in the world would you do that? Now, this book resonated with people because who couldn't put themselves in that situation? You know what it takes to write? I'm going to help you if you're an aspiring writer. If you want to write a runaway bestseller, write a story that rings true with people, that can resonate with people. What would you do if you found $4.4 million in a duffel bag in the middle of a protected wildlife management area? What would you do? Would you keep it or would you turn it in? Now, I know you're all good Christians, so I, you know. <laughs> so this story, it's called A Simple Plan. They convince Hank, like, look, dude, this is the American dream in a duffel bag. You're insane. 
You're insane. This will make us all happy. That was the, the theme of the whole book. We can all finally be happy. And Hank's like, I am happy. I already am happy. And they're like, you can be happier, though. And so the simple plan is they're going to take that money. They're going to hide it. They're not going to say anything to anybody about it. They're going to wait for spring to come, for the airplane to be discovered. And if nothing is mentioned about the money, they're going to retire and walk away millionaires. Simple plan. It's a simple plan. But as you know, a simple plan for happiness can get very complicated very quickly. And before you know it in this book, Hank has murdered six people. Just a good old boy, man, in a, in a northern town. And he's got a job. He's got a staple baby on the way. He's murdered six people. He's running from the FBI. He's committing deception and conspiracy. He's got a guilty conscience. He's just torn to pieces. And you're reading this like, man, this is Psalm 16 when you're reading this book. A simple plan. Now, if we're honest in here, I would imagine that we're all just a little bit like Hank Mitchell. No, you didn't kill your family. I, I mean, I hope you did. And if you did, I hope you turn yourself in and you got out of prison and all that and you're, we're all safe. We're not like that. But if we're honest, I would imagine every single person in here has your own little simple plan to be happy. Don't you? You just want to be happy. That's all you want, man. You, just, you, want the, you want the lines to fall for you in pleasant places. But something along the way has happened and your plan got really complicated. And you didn't find at the end of that rainbow that golden that golden pot of 32 carat nugget gold, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it's 24, I get it. You found pain and sorrow. That's what that word in Hebrew actually means. It means pain. Anybody in here found pain looking for happiness yet? I have. I found a lot of it. But I also have been found by Christ. It's interesting, man. I found a quote by the author of Frankenstein, of all people, Mary Shelley. You know, some books have this really cool quote to get you thinking before you read the, the book. And here's the quote. No man chooses evil because it is evil. He only mistakes it for happiness. That resonate with anybody? We don't start out wanting to be serial killers or hurt people or lie or leave our spouse or whatever. We just mistook it. We made a mistake, man. We thought, we, thank you up there. They're helping me out today. We, we just thought it would, it would lead us to happiness, but it didn't. It left us painful. It left us with pain. And you know what? I, our office is right next to a little corner convenience store. And every now and then I'll go down there. It's, it's good. When you're a pastor, man, it's, uh, I had a secular job before I was a pastor, and I found that to be immensely helpful, that I'm not just in a Christian bubble, you know. Uh, but every now and then I like to just watch people. I like to listen. I like to be reminded, why do I do what I do? And I'll go down to that convenience store, and I'll get a snack in there, and I watch people, man, that are, that are, that are checking out. It's just interesting. It's, people are just interesting to me. I, th I think I'm boring, but other people I find interesting, and the things that they'll buy. There's people that will be in there for their 11th lottery ticket, man. And just looking at them and trying to ga gauge, you know, maybe they'll have a, a, a pacifier and a baby with them. And I'm thinking, man, this is, it looks like maybe that, that, that money could, could be used for something else. They're just, they're just looking for happiness, man. They're just looking for happiness. Or the person that, that, that's walking in there for a half a case of beer, and it's just for him <laughs> or her for that night, just to go to sleep. It's for them. Now, I know I'm kind of filling in the backstory here, but, um, or the person that gets four candy bars for himself or the person that gets 10 energy drinks for himself. Everybody's after happiness. That's all they're after. They're not monsters, right? There's after happiness. Everybody's after it. I saw a couple of weeks ago, no, it wasn't, a couple of days ago, at a gas station in DeLand. I'm, I'm, I'm only telling you this to remind you, this is reality, man. The Bible is, is not some esoteric scholarly document 
That's, have you ever heard somebody say, man, the, God doesn't know me. He doesn't understand me. The, the Bible's totally irrelevant. Are we reading the same thing here? Because I feel like David's cracked open my soul in this psalm. A couple days ago, there was a guy at a gas station. He and his partner were arguing, and he got so angry, he ran over his girlfriend and a three-year-old kid and an 11-year-old kid. Ran over them. Just ran over them. You ask yourself why. I was reading the comments. They're like, this human being, he does, he's not even a human being. He doesn't deserve to live. And I get it. I get all that. But I'm studying this, and I'm like, he just wanted to be happy. And, and she was threatening that. And, he, and, he, and he, I'm not defending it at all. All the things that were true of him were said of him. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, how can you do that to another human that's, that's looking to you for protection and safety? But he was just after happiness. He just made him, he mistook something evil for happiness, right? That's what David is after here. So David begins this psalm with a confession and also with a request. Just jumping in here. Check this out. A victim of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. In Hebrew, that line says, apart from you, no good. There's no good beyond you is what it says. You're the source. You are like the spring. You're, you know, we have springs here in Florida. And that blew my mind when I moved here because you're like, okay, this is the end of the river. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and my father-in-law had to remind me with the Blue Springs. He said, no, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is the source. This is where it all comes up from those, I never can find the right word. What's it called? The lava, the boils down there. You ever been to Blue Springs? All these, the water's boiling. That's where it actually comes out of the center of the earth. It boils up and it's, it's fresh and there's gazillions of gallons every day. And David is saying, you are my source of happiness. I don't need to go anywhere else. You're it. There's nothing beyond you that's better. I've, got, I've gotten the choice. Me. This is the best part of the steak, he would say in another psalm. So he starts out saying, you are my God. In you, I'm taking refuge. Please protect me. Apart from you, there's no good. And this is really interesting because this is David, man. This is the giant slayer. This is the Hebrew that would be the equivalent of a Navy SEAL in the Old Testament. You, I worked for a Navy SEAL when I was in California, and I asked him. I said, dude, just straight up, me and you, take the Holy Spirit out of the equation, just hypothetically. It's just David without God. He's just a skilled warrior. You're a Navy SEAL. You could kill me with your finger, couldn't you? He goes, he looked at me, and he went, yeah, my pinky probably. And I said, how would you fare in, in hand-to-hand combat against David? He said, I wouldn't even waste my time. He would, he would destroy me. He would destroy me. So this is David. Uh, and, and he's saying, God, hide me. That's what it means in refuge. It's like the word shelter, hurricane shelter, uh, storm cellar. Think of any shelter. And he's saying, God, quick, I want to be behind you. I want to hide myself in you. And you're like, David, dude, you're like the Navy. You could tear people to pieces with your, with your pinkies. What are you scared of? And you know what David says in the psalm? Now check this out. Don't miss this if you go anywhere else. You know what David says he's scared of in the psalm? He says, I'm scared of me. I'm scared of me. I'm not scared of what's out there. I'm scared of what's in here. And the quicker you realize that, my friends, the closer you're going to be to understanding Christianity, what, what God came to rescue you from, <laughs> his wrath and your sin, yourself. That's what this psalm is talking about. Just let that soak for a minute. I don't get to do that very often. I don't like awkward pauses. I never have. That's why I talk so fast. But let that, let that settle for a second. That's what this psalm's about. This is a spoiler alert here, Okay. This psalm is about you taking refuge in God from yourself and all of those destructive decisions that you have either made 
or you're about to make or you're reaping the consequences from right now that you mistook them for happiness. And it was a, it was a wrong way and the worst way for you. And God says, I'm still here. The story is not over yet. You still got life in you. You're still breathing. You're hearing this message I sent to you from my servant at Grace Life. So listen up. That's what he's saying. It doesn't have to be this way. Your life's not over yet. I'm still here, and I still want you. And all you got to do is open yourself up to me. That's what so many people fail to understand about Christianity. Oh, it's so complex, and the Bible's so thick. And, and uh, look, all you have to do is open yourself up to God and say, God, I'm a mess. Can I be your mess? Will you take me? I'm not clean. I'm not perfect, you heard Melissa say. Could you love somebody like me? Would you love somebody like me? And God says, I came to die for people like you. And here's why, because there's nobody else left. If God came to die for clean people, we're all in trouble. All of us are. Anybody in here want to put yourself forward and say, God, I'm worthy for you to die for me. Man, I'm not comfortable there, are you? David certainly wasn't. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Preserve me, God. Watch over me. So asking God to protect you to be your refuge is admit that you need it. That not only are there things out there that are going to threaten and hijack your joy, there's something in here that's going to threaten and hijack your joy. A fickle, insecure heart that will go astray the minute we take our eyes off God and think that he's holding out on us. Isn't that what started the whole thing in the garden? Satan saying, oh, God's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. God's all about law. Don't eat this. Don't touch that. I'm all about grace, the devil says. God doesn't want you to have this one thing. Eat, the tree, eat from that tree, you'll be like me. And the rest is history. So to ask God to protect you is to admit that you need it. So David says, you're my refuge. I'm, putting, I'm hedging all my bets on you, God. That's all I have. You're all I have, but you're all I need. I know that sounds, that sounds scary to people, but, but check this psalm out. David is equating taking his refuge in God with joyful confidence. How many people can say that in 2022? You know, I, and, and, and I do it too sometimes. Man, what a, what a two years we've had. And it's crazy, and it's unstable, and there's political rancor and anger and the future of World War III. And yet David says, look, look, check this out. This is his secret, and I'm giving you a spoiler alert for the sermon because this is a long sermon. I'm trying to make it shorter. That's what I was messing around with this morning. In verses 8 and 9, David says this. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be what? Shaken. How many people in here have been shaken? Shaken. And David's not saying I'm immune from all the trouble in the world. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. Here's what he's saying. He's saying I have hope in the, in the, in the middle of all that trouble. I have hope, God. I'm not going to be shaken. I saw a video the other day of a family in Ukraine and if I cry, tell them this, it's okay. We don't need to apologize for being emotional. But man, it got, it got to me. You know, there, sometimes I get really emotional watching stuff like that. It was a family. Do we, we have a picture of it here. Now, that family may very well be in heaven right now. And that'd be okay. They're, I don't, I'm sure they're not complaining. But at the time, their city was being bombed. And they're, I'm not, it's not a video I'm going to play. I just did a screenshot. They are singing a precious hymn that we've sang here before called He Will Hold Me Fast. You ever heard that? I should have wrote the lyrics down. I should know them by heart. 
It's a great song, man, about the confidence we have being in Christ, that he has us. We are in his grip. We're in his hands. Nothing can separate us from his love. We're secure. He's our refuge. Their city's being bombed. They know their life may be over in a matter of seconds. And look, can you see the faces of everyone in there? Oh, my word, man. We think the things that trouble me and shake me. It's like nobody's ever bombed the city that I live in. And I, I, I would want to hope that I could sing a hymn. I mean, I envy that guy. I don't think that's a pastor. It's just a Christian family in Ukraine, man. Their city's being bombed. They're singing a hymn, and they're laughing and smiling. Do you want the confidence they have? I do, and it's right here. You ain't got to go, you know, bring back the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West or do some quest or bucket list to get it. That's every, that's every false religion in the world. You've got to do this, make this pilgrimage, reach nirvana, get enlightened. Jesus says, you just got to come to me. I've already covered all the rest. I'll just give it to you for free. How's that? That doesn't mean you, you, you live a, a life enslaved to sin. We've talked about that in Romans. It means God's going to take you as you are and not leave you that way, transform you, change you, fill you with joy and hope, and use you as an ambassador to reach others. Man, what a message. What a message. The one who secures our highest good is our highest good. <laughs> Other Psalms say this. Psalm 73 says the same thing. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I love that. Man, I, th I think I've already covered the first two points, kind of, but I'm just now getting to it in my notes here. Uh, point number one was everybody seeks after happiness, right? And uh, point number two is not everyone finds it. Not everyone finds happiness. I wanted to, I wanted to read something to you, a, a quote that I came across years ago. And man, I, I, know, I, I know I wrote it down. Give me, give me a second, guys. This happens every now and then. Okay, I'm going to try, try to remember it. It's by uh, Blaise Pascal. He was a mathematician. He was a philosopher in the 17th, either the 1700s or the 17th century. Both can't be true, but I don't remember which. 1600s, 17th century, right, Mark? All right, you can correct me later. Um, and he said something like this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. This is true of every man or every woman who has ever lived. It's true of those who go to war. It's true of those who avoid war. It's even true of the man who hangs himself. And that shook me to the core. That quote shook me to the core, and at first I challenged it. But when you think of Blaise Pascal was a committed Christian, committed Christian. And he was, write, he was writing theology in, 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 in just a really resonating way. He, he, he came to recognize something that a lot of people don't. It's like even the painful choices that we make, we think they'll either bring relief or they're, they're an escape hatch. But, but, they, but they're, they're, they end up being dead ends. And that's what, that's what verse 4 is saying here in Psalm 16. So often, uh, what the book Simple Plan was about and what we found true in our own lives is all men are seeking happiness. We, we are all looking to be happy. And God is not holding out on us. That's the second message of this psalm. God wants actually what you want. He just has a different means to accomplish that for you. And it's a surprising one. It's a shocking one that we'll never find on our own. That's why the Bible uses language like we're blind and we're dead. We don't have sensitivities to things of righteousness. And God says, I'm not holding out on you. I'm chasing you, but only because I want to throw a party with you, you know? That's, that's kind of what the New Testament talks about. Jesus came on the scene, and he's, and he's uh, you know, in John chapter 2, his first miracle, 
This, this, this bothers some, some fundamentalist. You know Jesus' first miracle? You know what it was? Anybody out there? He turned up. Man, see, you guys knew it. You knew it. He turned water into wine. Why? So everybody could get drunk at the party? No. No. Why do people always conclude that? Jesus didn't get anybody drunk at that party. You know what Jesus is saying? This is supposed to be joyful. <laughs> this is supposed to be a joyful event. And he reminded them, and it's funny, he used the stone pitchers that were used for religious cleansing and ceremony. He used those to fill up with, with wine instead of water, just to remind people. I came to bring the joy that you've been looking for all your life and you've never found. And if you keep looking for it in the same places that you've been looking for it, it's going to end tragically for you. That's what Jesus was saying. That's why he would tell parables about this pearl of great price. That a man that had been looking for the perfect pearl his entire life finally found it, and he went and sold everything that he, that he owned for that one pearl. You read that, and you're like, that's nuts. Why would somebody do that? Because he realizes everything else he had was just counterfeit. It was just counterfeit. And Jesus told a parable right after that in Matthew 13. The kingdom of God is like a man who finds treasure hidden in a field. And when he found it, he went and sold everything he could. <clears throat> Sorry. And he bought the field, and he said, mine, finally. And you're like, what's that all about? Jesus, man, his parables are powerful, aren't they? He's saying, this guy finally found it, man, what he'd been looking for his entire life. And everything else he figured out was just artificial. It was synthetic. It was plastic. It was a, a knockoff. It wasn't the, the, the genuine artifact. Finally, he found it in Christ, and he gave everything away joyfully. And he says, finally, I found it. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like that, and I'm like that. And the people that understood that followed Jesus, and I can't wait to meet them one day. I guarantee you they're not up in heaven complaining what they had to give away to find Jesus. They're not doing that. They're pleading with us. <laughs> the ones that, that wrote scripture are pleading with us. You can find it too. The pearl of great price. Jesus says, and I say Jesus because this was quoted prophetically in the book of Acts, that this psalm, David wrote this, but this was true of Christ too. And this was quoted after the resurrection. At your right hand, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. I mean, you can ask yourself, well, what's, the, what's the one threat and enemy to your happiness? Death? Jesus is like, nope, got that covered too. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. We don't die. I was reading this the other day in a book, and it was a good argument. I really challenged it. It's like, man, I preach funerals all the time, and I, I talk about so-and-so has died. And this person writing the book was almost arguing with me through a book, and he's saying, well, why do the New Testament authors only call it falling asleep then? They never call it death. Jesus told Martha, he said, uh, those who believe in me never die. Do you believe this? And I like that. I think I'm going to challenge myself. Uncle Chuck fell asleep last week. And he's, he, he's not sad right now. <laughs> and any of your loved ones or family members that fell asleep in Jesus <clears throat> didn't wake up angry. I can promise you that. He will not allow his Holy One to see corruption. <clears throat> In your presence is fullness of joy. Don't you love the language, the, the unashamed, unblushing language the Bible uses? See, we can say things. People use uh, spiels like that on, on billboards and marketing. Fullness of joy right here, 1999. You can do it at monthly installments or no. Fullness of joy. Every word inspired in the Bible. Full joy. Complete You'll never need anything else to be happy when you find this. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love that. Don't you love what he says here, too? He says, uh, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
um, what's at your right hand, the most important thing to you? If, you, if you're a soldier or, or a king, your commander, your general's right here. If you're a soldier, uh, at your right hand is your buddies in the foxhole. Uh, if you're, I don't know, a nurse, it's, you're in the ER and these are your physicians and your assistants. The thing that's at your right hand is the most important thing to you. And David is saying, I have set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I am in the presence. This psalm is saying, I am in the living presence of God every moment of every day. I've set the Lord before me. He's the filter. He's the lens through which I view all of life. David found that secret, man. He's like walking with God. It wasn't just a Sunday thing for him. And then after that, look what he says. He says in, in uh, verse 3, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent one in, in whom is all my delight. He's like, the Lord is at my right hand, and I've got his people too. I've got the best of both worlds. I've got God, and I'm in fellowship with the people he's redeemed. This, this group of weird people that we call the church, they are the excellent ones. I've got to be honest, guys. We talk about walking in the light here. I just want, I want to be honest. I never thought that all of my closest and best friends would be members of the church I would plant. I'm ashamed to tell you that, man. I want to cry saying that. I thought, you know, we'll plant a church, and, and we'll, hopefully we'll make some disciples, and we'll meet some, some cool pe- people. But, you know, they probably won't be my best friends. I'm a pastor. It's different. And, you know, there's some weirdos that you meet, too. <laughs> I'm just keep, I'm keep, I'm a, I know I'm a weirdo, too. You know what? When Sarah and I have free time, you know who we find ourselves hanging out with? You. And if you're like, hey, if you're like, if you're like, wait a minute, you don't hang out with me. Look, don't take it personal. You can come over to my house anytime, man. There are people from the church coming to our yard sale. We're witnessing to people together. You, David is saying, you are the excellent ones in whom is all my life. There's nobody in the world I would rather hang out with than other people who have the same hope that I have. There's something strengthening and unifying about that, isn't there? I mean, every time you find Jesus, you find him with his people. And it's sad to me, man, what we see happening I meet people all the time, and they tell me I'm a Christian. They share their testimony, and I say, where do you go to church? And, man, it's crickets start chirping. I'm not trying to, like, challenge them, and they get all defensive. Well, look at the time, <laughs> you know? And, or they'll tell me, I go to, uh, and then they'll say, I, I, go, I go to such and such. It's usually it's a big church. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, who's the pastor there? And they're like, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, well, well, man, I, who preaches? I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I'm sorry. I'm kind of going on a rabbit trail here. How are we doing on time? We're, we're doing okay, aren't we? So, what was the first point? Let me see. Everyone seeks happiness. Few find lasting happiness. And the third point is the secret to happiness. Yeah, that's what we're after. And I've, already, I've really already touched on that, haven't I? Listen to this. Michael Jordan, he is the most decorated MB. When I wrote this sermon the first time he was, I don't know if Le- LeBron James passed him. Did he? I, anyway. <laughs> what if a fight broke out? <laughs> LeBron, Michael. All right. In his 2009 Hall of Fame speech. Now, man, this is the speech where you're thanking everybody and you're saying, finally, I can rest and retire. Check this out. Michael Jordan, most decorated NBA player of all time, he led the Chicago Bulls to win six national championships. Six. He received the NBA Most Valuable Player Award five times. And now he is almost 60 years old. He has retired over three times. Oh, that's a little hint right there. I'm done. No, I'm not done. I'm done. No, I'm not. I'm, do- I'm back. I'm done. And by his own admission, he's miserable. I mean, I think he probably has a lot of money from Nike, if nothing else from Nike, right? <laughs> he's got awards on his wall. I mean, that's like the American dream in a duffel bag right there, right? 
And he says he's miserable. Listen to this. This is what he said in his speech. He called the game of basketball his refuge. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. So you're hiding in that game there, that, <laughs> that silly game where they bounce a ball. Or, no, it's not a silly game. Basketball is awesome. But it can't be your refuge. I'll tell you that. And, hey, if you're married and you have a great marriage, hey, praise God. Don't you go and ruin it and make your spouse your refuge. Or don't you go if you're single and thinking that somehow when you get married, that would be your refuge. Talk to somebody that's married. And I'm not chuckling. I'm not, that's just reality. I mean, how many, how many fallen things will human beings find and attach their happiness to and get disappointed and left empty and broken and hurt other people because they're so angry about it that they thought that was the one thing? And Michael Jordan's just a bigger, he's just bigger than life, telling you the same thing with his Hall of Fame speech. He goes, I'm miserable. I've got everything that a human being could possibly have, and I'm miserable. <laughs> then he said this. I'm restless and miserable as I've ever been. He asked, how can I find peace away from the game of basketball? Can I answer that? Hey, Mike, let's go get coffee. You can buy. <laughs> and I'll tell you the answer, man. It ain't with the bears and with the bulls. It's, it's with the lamb, right? It's with the lamb of God down at Calvary, not in Chicago. Nothing against Chicago, you know. Um, yeah, he claimed that his self-esteem and his identity had always been had always been tied directly to the game of basketball. So, dude, if your identity is tied up in this game, what happens to you on the inside when you stop playing it? Or when you're so old that you can't dunk anymore? Then what happens? Or when you can't do backflips on the trampoline and impress your kid anymore, right? <laughs> Man, we attach our self-esteem and identity to so many things that are just going to leave us broken and empty and tear, up, tear us to pieces. And it doesn't have to be that way because Jesus is still here and he's still talking to you and me right here. Hey, listen, I know. I know. This is not a, a mega church, but there's enough people here today. I'm looking at you. Surely, surely somebody brought in here your broken pipe dream of happiness. You're not going to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to. We don't do this, this at this church. I, I told my wife this morning, I said, honey, I'm confident. There may be one person that this is a sniper sermon today. You know what I mean? I hate to use death language. <laughs> There's like some sermons you feel like are shotgun, like everybody gets hit, and there's sniper sermons. And some, somebody will come, and, I, and I'll leave, and I'll, and I'll be like, man, that was a, that was, I just went up there and laid a big fat egg. And then a person will come to me next year and say, that's that sermon you pre-, and they're not saying me. They're saying that message that God had on that day at Grace Life changed my life. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's why. And God wanted to protect me maybe from pride in the, in the, I don't know. Surely there's somebody here today or two or three people. This, this psalm is resonating with you, and you need, you need to listen to this psalm. At, at, in your presence is fullness of joy. And you're saying, well, man, how, I'm, I'm verse 4, though. I'm in verse 4, though. How do I get from verse 4 to, to in the presence of God? Because God's holy. He's holy, and I'm not. I'm a wreck. I'm sinful. I've done things. I've said things. Pastor, you don't even know. I couldn't even talk to you about it. We would both blush. I'm a sinner. I'm an idolater. So how can an idolater, an outsider... Somebody who's broken laws, God's laws, human laws. How in, the way can, how in the world can they make their way into the presence of a holy and a just God? And don't you know that that's the secret to Christianity? How can any of us be in the presence of a holy God? Here's how. Here's how. Because the only human being who never sinned, the only human being who was perfectly righteous, who never chose something evil for happiness as a mistake, the one person who obeyed God, and who set the Lord always before him was Jesus Christ. And do you know why Jesus came? Can I, can I share some good news with you today? Do you know why Jesus Christ came to this earth? 
so that God could do to him what you and I deserve. Jesus got kicked out of God's presence. He got banished. He got cut off. You know what Jesus cried up on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that so that you and I, when we trust in Jesus, will never have to say it. Because God will never forsake us. He'll never desert us. He'll never leave us. Jesus says, come to me. All who come to me, I will never cast out. Never. That's how an idolater, a sinful person, an unclean person can come into the presence of God. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Apart, apart from Christ, you have absolutely no hope. Man, I have no qualms telling you that. If, if you're going to try to find another way to be eternally happy or to earn brownie points with God and it's trying to go around or skirt around Jesus, you're hopeless, my friend. You're hopeless. There is no other, no other name given among men under heaven whereby we can be saved. And Jesus said, uh, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Man, what a bold declaration, Jesus. For all the people that are on, Jesus was just a good teacher or a good more example. He never... He never claim to be this is what jesus said from his mouth nobody comes to the father except through me so you got to reckon with that are you trying to make your way into god's presence some other way or trying to find happiness some some other way you're going to find yourself in verse four you're going to end up just like hank i almost said hank williams <laughs> yeah that'd be another story for for another day right hank mitchell torn to pieces you, you you mistook evil for happiness but it doesn't have to be that way Okay, that's it. We're going to celebrate communion today. You know what we're celebrating every first Sunday? We are celebrating what it cost Jesus to offer you and I eternal happiness. Broken body, shed blood. So we're going to ask our servers to, uh, to make your way down here and prepare the Lord's table. This is, this is for believers. You know what? Let me, let me go down here and, and let me pray. And then we're going to prepare our our hearts for communion today. I'm sorry, I'm a little scatterbrained today, but this is, uh, this is where God has us right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the power of, of this psalm, for the truth that it communicates to us, for the hope that it holds out. I pray for every single person in this building, every single man, every single woman, every single child, that there would be no confusion, Lord. You would not allow anything that I miscommunicated or poorly communicated to... Uh, to cause them confusion about the very simple and clear message of Christianity. There is no hope. There is no forgiveness. There is no reconciliation. There is no salvation. There is no rescue apart from the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you call each and every one of us to turn from our sins, to confess our need, to acknowledge our sinfulness, Lord, and to believe the gospel and to, to turn to you in faith. And you will turn none of us away, Lord. What good news that is. How hopeful that is. And I pray that you would help us to remember that good news. That we still need to be reminded of it. Even when we're in Christ. We forget it so easily, so often. And it causes us such trouble. So help us to remember today. And be uh, just reminded again of the assurance we have. That we are in Christ. We are in your bosom. We are in your hands. Nobody can snatch us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And listen, if you have children in the back who have professed faith in Christ, by all means, you can go. The teachers know they're ready. You can go and collect your kids and, uh, and bring them in here and, and celebrate communion as a family. And I think you got some music for us, Kyle, some, some reflective music.
I was, I was kind of late giving that announcement about the kids, so uh, let's, uh, let's give them a minute. I'll tell you what I want to do. I'm going to read. You're like, great, he's still going to preach. <laughs> I think I have this one in my notes. I do. Here we go. All right. This is, this is a great hymn. It's a Scottish uh, Presbyterian hymn, and it's a paraphrase of Romans 8. I'm not going to sing it. But I want to read these stanzas here as, as we wait on the, the families to, to get together here. The Savior died but rose again triumphant from the grave and pleads our cause at God's right hand, omnipotent to save. Who then can e'er divide us more from Jesus and his love or break the sacred chain that binds the earth to heaven above? Let troubles rise and terrors frown and days of darkness fall through him, all dangers will defy. Oh, I love that. We'll defy. We don't tolerate dangers. We defy them. And more than conquer all. Nor death, nor life, nor earth, nor hell, nor time's destroying away can e'er efface us from his heart or make his love decay. Each future period that will bless as it has blessed the past. He loved us from the first of time. He loves us to the last. Isn't that powerful? Man, that's good news. I hope you can say that in your heart this morning and, and just rehearse that truth. Um, the Lord's Supper is a, it's an ordinance that God left us with. We have baptism. We have the preaching of the gospel on Sundays. And we also have communion. <clears throat> this is a way for us to remind ourselves of God's love for us, to assure ourselves of his love for us. Uh, it's, it's, it's symbolic, but it's powerful. It shows us what his body had to go through, what had to happen for God to accept us and for Jesus to bring us back to God. And so I always remind people this is for believers. If, if you today, now listen carefully to me, if you today are trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone, then by all means, receive communion with us. If, if you have not done that, then I would plead with you, receive Christ today. Receive Christ today. And then next first Sunday, you'll be able to share your testimony with us, and, and you'll be able to receive communion. So I'm going to pray and ask our servers to, to distribute this. It was, it's uh, sanitized. We still are using the, uh, the safest method we know of. Maybe we can resort to the other. But uh, I just always remind people it's, it's hard to get these little covers off, so don't spill the juice, okay? And we're going to distribute this in a minute. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this ordinance and your wisdom and in your love and your care for us. You left with uh, physical, visible, tangible reminders of your love for us because we forget and we're visual learners. And so I pray that, that today this would be a powerful means of assurance for each and every person in this room. So bless our celebration of it and our reception of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, servers, thank you. put this scripture up if you want to follow along. This is from the Old Testament. It's uh, along the lines of what we were just talking about in Jeremiah 2, starting in verses 11 to 13. He's talking about idolatry here. 
And what did Israel do when they exchanged God for something lesser? And he says, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jesus body was broken and his blood was shed so that you and I could find the cistern so that you and I could could uh could finally and fully and completely be satisfied and stop settling for for broken things for for what C.S. Lewis called mud pies in the slums when a holiday is offered at the sea right that's what this is talking about I want to read one more Old Testament passage as you work those peel those wrappers off and get ready this is, a, this is kind of a shocking paradox in the Old Testament. I love I loved the language here. And, the, and this is for people that are maybe seated in hopelessness today that you came. And you're wondering, would God take me? Do I have, would I even have anything to offer God? Would he, check this out. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Isn't that a paradox? Come, everyone who thirsts, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come and buy but without money because Jesus purchased it all. Even the Old Testament, they're, they're prophesying what Jesus would come to do. And this is a celebration of what he did. And I want to read to you the instructions from 1 Corinthians 11 here. We don't just uh, do this without any instruction. This is what the Apostle Paul told us that Jesus showed him. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That, <clears throat> that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you which is for you. And do this in remembrance of me. So today we are remembering. We are remembering. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So let me give thanks, and we'll do this together. Lord Jesus, we stop and pause and acknowledge your goodness to us you gave us the greatest gift you could ever possibly give you gave us your only begotten son you gave us jesus and he shed his blood he poured out his life his body was broken all for us for the joy set before him he did it he didn't do it unwillingly he didn't do it begrudgingly he did it out of love and today we remember that we celebrate that so help us to do that well in jesus name amen Will you take the, the body of, of Christ and eat it? Will you take the blood of Christ and drink it? Let's do it together. Lord God, thank you so much. Bless remembering today. Bless our tangible remembering, Lord, of what you did. And may every single person that leaves here be changed today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, <clears throat> we're going to do something ever, that we do every first Sunday. It says at the Last Supper, 
uh, that they left and they all sang a hymn together. Man, I would have liked to have known what hymn they sang, don't you? Uh, I always think that it was ones that were written thousands of years later, which is probably not likely. But uh, Kyle, you got a hymn for us to sing today? And after you sing, will you remember, we, we rent this space from the school and we don't want to spill grape juice everywhere. So when you leave, uh, we're going to have somebody at the back holding a basket. You can dispose of these. And uh, man, that announcement always kills the, the, <laughs> the momentum. But I, we want to stay in good testimony with the school. All right, Kyle, take it away and then we'll be dismissed with some announcements. Let's stand together and sing Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit. Washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight, angels descending, bring from above, echoes of my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long perfect all is at rest I in my Savior am happy and blessed watching and waiting looking above filled with his goodness lost in his love this is my story
worship team. On my sermon today made me think of the devotion that I've been doing. Um, it's a chronological Bible reading. And at the end of every day's reading, the author adds, um, he is where the joy is. And I, I found that very permissive. And in each of the day's reading, all throughout the Bible, he is where the joy is. So a few announcements. Um, first, our community group um, will continue this month, but we do have a break for spring break. Uh, we follow the Volusia County Schools uh, schedule, so they will be having um, breaks. So that means we will from March 14th to March 19th. Then we will have another community group break on the last week of March because we celebrate our fifth Wednesday prayer gathering. So we have no community groups that week, but we gather um, at a specified place um, on the 30th at 6.30 to gather and pray. Some people will choose to fast that day, um, and then they break their fast after our prayer time together. Um, we are going to be beginning a new rhythm, and that is at the beginning of each month, um, with our first Sunday rhythms, we will be collecting for the high school. We will be doing um, small travel size personal hygiene items and snacks. Um, that is something we started during Christmas, and it's really blessed the school, and we're continuing that because of our relationship with them. And what a way to remember Christ and what he's done in serving those that, that are around us. And finally, a last-minute um, announcement that is not um, on a slide or anything. There is a change in location for the student ministry gathering tonight. Um, they will be meeting at Melanie Reyes' um, home instead of at Matt Carr's home. Um, so if you need that address, feel free to contact uh, one of us, and we can get that to you. Um, and then finally, as we all dismiss, we will do our charge. And you can stand for this. Getting your exercise in today. <laughs> All right. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.